0: Invite you at this time to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter twenty-three. Genesis chapter twenty-three if you're using your pew Bibles it's page thirty-two. Genesis chapter twenty-three. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede With Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me, for the full price is a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people, and bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing, in their hearing, "Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there." Ephron answered Abraham, "Listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead." Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, four hundred shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants so ephron's field and machpelah near mamre both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to abraham as his property in the presence of all the hittites who had come to the gate of the city afterward abraham buried his wife sarah in the cave in the field of machpelah near mamre which is at hebron in the land of canaan so the field and the cave in it were deeded to abraham by the hittites as a burial site. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Not too long ago, I found out about Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne co founded the Apple Computer Company with Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs on April 1st, 1976. Twelve days later, Ronald sold his 10% share of the company back to the two Steves for $800. And a year later, he accepted a final $1,500 payment to forfeit any future potential claims. Some estimate that if he hadn't sold his 10% stake, it would be worth billions today. I mean, it's kind of hard to uh, think of life in the reverse, but um, if you go and you and you research Ronald, you'll find that Steve Jobs came to him after he had sold his 10% stake and tried to convince him to continue to be a part of the business, continue to be a part of, of what he was building. And I can imagine Steve uh, giving Ronald so many promises. Steve, this is a guy who is starting a computer company out of his garage, and he's telling Ronald, who's working at Atari at the time, a big, important video game company, which, by the way, is not around anymore. And, and Ronald is listening to this guy say, listen, I got these great ideas for computers, and, and maybe even one day we'll turn these computers into little tiny pad devices, and maybe one day we'll even turn these computers into little music listening devices, and maybe one day we'll even turn these computers into tiny little phones. And Ronald's like, this guy is crazy. I don't trust him. I don't trust his promises. And maybe Steve is saying, just hold on, just wait. And maybe Ronald, he's just not patient enough. So he didn't see that it was worth investing in, right? He didn't see the vision. Didn't have the patience to wait it out. Well, God has also made promises to Abraham about a great inheritance. And descendants as numerous as the sea the sand on the seashores, and the stars in the sky. But even this late in his life, all Abraham has is one son, his wife has passed away, and he owns one well of water in the promised land. No property, and the family of the promise is now dying. Abraham is probably starting To ponder whether his life has meaning, he's probably starting to realize that these promises aren't going to come true in his lifetime. So it's important that he knows, and it's important that we know, uh, that our life is significant and that death does not separate us from the promises of God. Our life is significant and death does not separate us from the promises of God. We have a few points to look at this morning. The first is, the people of God still die. Genesis chapter 23, the first two verses tell us about Sarah's death. Uh, The second point, the people of God aren't home yet. Genesis chapter 23, verses 3 through 9, where we see Abraham coming as a sojourner and a stranger um, to ask for the privilege of something uh, that does not belong to him. The privilege of buying land um, in a place where he is not a citizen. The third, uh, the down payment on the promises, Genesis chapter 23, verses 10 uh, through 15, tell us about a a transaction, a bartering match that Abraham goes into in order to um, have the uh, privilege of purchasing some land to bury his dead. Um, And then Genesis chapter 23, verses 16 through 20 are the deed, basically, of that purchase. Um, So let's look at a number of these points this morning. Uh, the first point, the people of God still die. Genesis 23, verse 1 through 2. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died. in Kirith, Arba, Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. You know, in some ways, we, um, we look back at uh, the, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, and we... Um, we make their life so much bigger than our life. Uh, we make them so much more important and significant than our lives. Abraham's the father of the faithful. Um, and you can even say that Sarah is the mother of the faithful. When we look forward to First Peter chapter 3, and Peter encourages wives to be like Sarah. And if you do follow the example of Sarah, you're her children, he says. Um, so um, when you have big names like that, the patriarch and the matriarch of the faithful, um, we can sort of grandiose their life. Uh, but you know you go from Genesis 22, where Abraham has this great moment of testing, this iconic moment in the life of Abraham, to Genesis 23, and, and, and something uh, something that we all can relate to, something we can all understand, to some degree or another, the death of a loved one um, Abraham and Sarah have spent many years together. Many years together. And some of those years have been great. Some of those years have been hard. They left their family. We look back at Genesis chapter 22 and we see there at the end that we're told about in Nahor's sons, that back in Abraham's homeland, where he came from, the land of his ancestors, that his family there is prospering, they're having children, right? But, but Sarah and Abraham, much of their life, because of the calling of God, was spent as sojourners and wanderers. in Canaan. And Sarah and Abraham's life was filled with ups and downs. You know, the ups of being prospered by the Lord and being given these great promises that they would be given a great inheritance and they would have a number of descendants. So numerous, right? Yet at the same time, sometimes Sarah um, was stricken with the shame of being without child for 90 years of her life. In a time, in an age where Having children, bearing children was so important. She was without it. Tormented by her slave. By her attempt to uh, work out the promises of God in her own effort. In the presence of a child that was not hers. Struggling even in those times when Abraham and her would wander into foreign lands and Abraham would lie and give her over to a king. I'm protected. But other times, other times of great joy, At times when, when she laughed at the promise of God that she would have a child. But then that time next year, there she is in her 90s and bearing a son for Abraham, nursing him, caring for him. Wow, what a great and wonderful thing. What a great and wonderful thing. And here, Abraham has lost his wife. His spouse. Some of you know what that feels like. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing, and, and, and we read here that Abraham went to mourn for Sarah. And that Hebrew word means to beat his chest and to weep over her. You see, even though we read here that the people of God still die, it doesn't mean that death is something that we should embrace. Death is an intrusion of the curse, of the sin, of the brokenness that's in this world. You see, death is a very normal thing because we all experience it in some way or another. And it's good, I think, that we expose ourselves to its reality. I remember when we first came here, one of the first funerals that we were part of, that we participated in, that we came to, it was, it was Dick Shaffer's. And there he was. The casket was open. And my kids still tell me about that. That it was impactful to them. They remember that. Seeing him there. Dead. It's important, I think, that we remember that death is coming for all of us. It's very normal, right? But it is not natural. Death is not natural. Death only occurs because of sin. Abraham has lost his wife of many years, and he weeps and mourns over this reality. This is humbling. It's humiliation before exaltation, it's the cross before the crown. It's here that we're learning that God's people must suffer loss before receiving the promises of God. In fact, our very own Heidelberg Catechism tells us about death and its reality. And it says something that I think we ought to ponder. Lord's Day 16, question and answer 42. It says, since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Have you ever asked that question? If Christ's death is our death, then why do we still have to die? The answer the Heidelberg Catechism gives is something that should come for us. It says, Our death does not pay the debt of our sins. Rather, it puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance into eternal life. That is, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we cry out, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your victory? where is your sting? The sting of death has been taken away. And even though death is normal, we realize it is not natural. Even though we know God's people must suffer loss before receiving the promises. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 tells us, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Here we have, in Genesis chapter 23, something that we all can relate to, the death of a loved one. And here we are reminded, God's people do often suffer loss before receiving the promises. This is something that happened to Abraham. This is something that happens to us. This is something that Christ showed us by dying on the cross before he was raised to be at the right hand of God. And the death of Christ, all death in Christ, is dignified. Even if it is not easy. Our second point this morning, the people of God aren't home yet. In verses 20-24 of chapter 22 of Genesis, we hear about what's going on in Abraham's ancestral homeland. It would often be the practice... That if your loved one has died, you return to your place of residence, your home, to bury them. That's where they belong. You want them to be buried where they grew up, where they belong, where their homeland is. And it could have very well have been Abraham's choice at this point, at this juncture in his life. He could have said, my wife has died, I want to go back home to where I belong, to my ancestral homeland, to the the land of my fathers, and I want to bury my wife there. But look at what he does. He does not return to his family. But rather, he puts a stake in the land the Lord has promised him. He rose from before his dead... He rose from before his dead wife, and he went to the people of the land, the Hittites, and he said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Listen to what Abraham is saying. He's saying, I know that the God of all the earth, the God who's created the heavens in the earth, I know the God who is the true God, the one God, he has said to me, Abraham, look out over all this land. This land of Canaan. And God has told this Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. This land belongs to you. And Abraham believed that promise. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And we see in this moment, once again, if Abraham really believes the promises of God. Because Abraham goes and he says, hey, at this point in redemptive history, I am still an alien and a stranger among you. And I'm asking for you to give me, to grant me the privilege of purchasing property here in Canaan. So I can bury my dead. He desires to purchase the cave of Machpelah from Ephraim the Hittite in the land of Canaan. He wants to bury his family and himself in the land God has promised to him. Abraham is here at this juncture saying the death of his wife and him facing his mortality as well. that this is where I want to be buried because God has promised me this land and even though it's not mine right now, when my wife has died, even though it most likely won't be mine when I die, even though it might not be mine when my son Isaac dies or his son Jacob dies, by the way, they're all buried in the cave of Machpelah. This land has been promised to me by God and I believe it. God's people believe that the promises of God extend beyond this life. And so it's significant that we find in the book of Hebrews the perspective that these fathers, patriarchs of the faith, had concerning this wonderful and beautiful promise that God had given to them. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. What did Abraham say? I'm an alien and a stranger among you, right? People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, Abraham's ancestral home, right? If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham The death of his wife comes before the people who are really strangers and aliens, right? And he proclaims himself to be a stranger and an alien. And he asked to have the opportunity to purchase property. You know what Abraham's saying? He's saying, I'm not home yet. There is a city God has prepared for me, He's promised. That that is my home. And so, and as an expression of faith, I desire to purchase a little tiny piece of land here. People of God aren't home yet. His wife has died. He knows that he will die. And his desire is to purchase property in the land. The land that God has promised him. And so he goes before them. And he asks for that opportunity. And the Hittites reply to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Essentially, they're trying to outnice each other. This is how ancient Near Eastern bartering goes. We're going to be really kind to you. We're going to say, hey, you don't even need to buy anything. We can just share our burial sites with you. You use one for free. Um, Abraham does not want to do that. He does not want to take that path. He wants to... Avoid the complication uh, uh, of of using their property out of kindness. Um, He wants to own the property. He wants to put a stake in the ground. It says, this is mine. Right? So Abraham rose and he bowed down before the people, the Hittites. He said to them, if you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me. And he says, he has an actual property in mind. There's a cave of Machpelah on the outside of the field of Ephron, son of Zohar. Ask him if he will sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. So this is what he asks for. He asks for this people to intercede for him with one of their people that are among them uh, for this cave. So we move to the third point, the down payment on the promise. And so, Abraham makes a speech, and Ephron, the Hittite, is sitting among them at the gate of the city uh, where all these uh, official things take place. Uh, And he starts this whole bartering thing with Abraham as well. No, my lord, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that's in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Uh, I'm being really kind. I'm just offering it to you. And and the appropriate thing for Abraham to do is to uh, not accept that kindness. That's how you barter in the ancient Near East. This is how you barter. You say, you try to outnice them. No, no, I can never take it for free. Um, Please, please, you know, sell it to me for the full price. And that's what Abraham does. I'll pay the price for the field. Accept it for me so I can bury my dead there. And so Ephraim answered, listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. And Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms, weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So, a bartering happens. A uh, part of the land, the field and the cave, is, is, is said, this is, what the purchasing, uh, this is what you're purchasing, Abraham. The, the price was set. It was weighed out. The cost was paid. Now, um, some of you might be wondering, is this Ephron guy really being nice? Um, well, 400 shekels of silver, in comparison to some other land purchases that happen in the Bible, is really steep. It's like the housing market right now, okay? It's pretty steep. And so Ephron's probably thinking, this guy is probably going to be willing to pay whatever. You know, like him, you're sort of bargaining with somebody, and, and, and you know, like, yeah, you know, like... uh I'm going to start him off at this price. And they're like, I'll pay it. Then you're like, man, I wish I would have just said a bigger number because they probably would have paid whatever. That's what Ephron did with uh, Abraham. Abraham willing to pay the price. He's willing to sacrifice for this little plot of land in the promised land that God says belongs to him. And you know why Abraham is willing to do this? Because he knows that his life is significant because God has made it significant. Sarah's life was significant because God made it significant. Things come and go, things happen, and many of us might wonder, might ponder, is our life meaningful? Are the decisions that we're making meaningful? Are the things that we're doing meaningful? Some of you might even think, listen, I I never even really had a career. I was just a mom. Well, you know what Sarah was? For 90 years, she was nothing but a wife. And at the end of her life, she was nothing but mom. But here she is in the Bible, the mother, the faithful. Many of you might be thinking, Well, I'm not like Abraham. Abraham's the father of the faithful. His life's important. His life is written down here in the scriptures. But guess what our example is? It's the life of Abraham. We have the same opportunity to live out our life of faith in the way that he lives out his life of faith. We have the same opportunity to make mistakes and stumble and fall like he does. Abraham is just like us. He is the one that has to believe in Jesus too. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time for everything, right? There's a time for mourning. There's a time for dying. There's a time for living. One of the things that we should think about when we read that passage is that God has made our time significant and meaningful. And here... When we read this passage, Genesis chapter 23, we might think that it's nothing, but Abraham realizing that he has not come into possession of land in the promised land, and he has a a dead wife that needs to be buried, and, and so he has to go, and he has to finagle a price and buy some land so that he can bury his wife. It's as simple as that. It just makes sense. That's what you have to do. Someone you care about dies, then you have to go through negotiations of uh, funeral costs, burial costs, all that kind of stuff. That's what Abraham's doing. It might not seem that significant. But this is what Abraham's doing. He's looking up to God, and he's saying, God, I know that my life is significant, and I also know the death does not separate me from your promises. So in this life, I'm going to stake what I do with the decisions that I make and the way that I live on your promises. Because if I buy this cave, I know you'll turn it into a kingdom. If I do this little thing here, I know you'll turn it into a lot. That's what the life of faith is about. That's what God calls Abraham to do, right? To believe that Abraham's little will turn into a lot. Not a lot like his brother, but a lot. You know what I'm saying. That Abraham's cave will turn into a kingdom. Is that not what God calls us to? And I think about the way that Jesus himself describes the kingdom of God. And there's this one image of the kingdom of God that I think is so important, is so significant to what's happening here in Genesis 23. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who goes and he finds a treasure buried in a field. Then he takes everything that he owns and he sells it so that he can purchase that field. You see, for Abraham, this cave is like finding that treasure in the field. Because he knows that when he sacrifices in order to stake his ground, his place here in the promised land, that God will bless it. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You plant it in the ground, it's the smallest seed. But then when it grows, it grows into this great tree where birds can even come and perch on it. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a loaf of bread and a woman put a little bit of leaven in it. And then, wow. Back in the day, David Platt, a pretty famous Southern Baptist pastor, came out with a book called Radical. And the book was all about how you should live your life radically for God, and you should just um, sell all your things, and you should go, and you should be a missionary in Africa. And I'm not saying that God doesn't call people to those kinds of radical expressions of faith. But not too long after that, um, Michael Horton wrote a book called Ordinary. And basically, Michael Horton's argument was that, well, for some people, God calls them to um, forsake all things and, and go and pour their lives out to an indigenous people who has never heard the gospel before. But for most people, God calls us to beautiful and wonderful, ordinary expressions of faith. What is God calling Abraham to do here? Buy a cave to bury dead family members. What is your leaven? What's your treasure in the field? What's your mustard seed? What's your mustard seed? Plant it. Show that you are Trust God with a little, and he will turn it into a lot. Buy a cave, and he will turn it into a kingdom. Know that your life is significant even in the ordinary things. That your life is meaningful. And what you're doing when you trust God, you trust his promises. As you're trusting that that life is meaningful that he's given to you, That what you do, the decisions that you make, the choices that you make, the words that you say, they're meaningful. They're infused with purpose. And you're also saying, God, I know that these great and wonderful promises that you have said are going to come true. That this whole world belongs to Jesus Christ. And that one day he is going to come back and he and I and all those he's chosen are going to rule here in this perfected world, the heavens and the earth, that that might not come true in my lifetime, but I am planting seeds for that kingdom. Abraham made here a down payment on the promise. You could say he put his money Where his mouth was, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But now he put four hundred shekels of silver down on the reality that he believed that one day God would give him the land that God had promised him. He believed one day his ancestors—talk about a legacy—his ancestors would own this land, and he may not have even realized. That really what Abraham was believing in, the promise that he was believing in, is that one day his ancestor, Jesus Christ, would come, would live, and would die, not for the promised land, Canaan, but for the whole world. And that Jesus, when he would go to ascend, to sit at the right hand of God, would tell his disciples all authority in heaven. And on Canaan, no. No earth belongs to me. And so then we read the deed of the purchase. You can see that really verses 16 through um, 18 are are, are are a legal document expressing Abraham's um, possession of this land, that he's the rightful and legal owner of this land. Um, It's in that kind of language. In verse 19 to 20, uh, we hear finally that after this all took place, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Maybe some of you might wonder why exactly was it that Abraham wanted this land? Well, um, it's in the land of Mamre where God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son. So it's a meaningful meaningful place for them. It's in the land of Mamre where God gave Abraham many of the promises. So Abraham almost seems to say, I'm going back to where God spoke to me face to face and told me these promises and I'm going to say, God, this is where you said this land would belong to me, that I would have ancestors as numerous as the seas, sand on the seashores and the stars in the sky. By the way, we're those ancestors. I'm putting this burial site right here to show you that I still believe you. I still trust you. So it's important that we, as God's people, demonstrate our faith by reconciling death with the abiding promises of God. Do you know that the things that you do in this life do not pass away from meaningfulness just because you pass into the next? That all your work is not in vain, Paul says. Because of the resurrection. So unlike, unlike uh, Ronald Wayne who didn't really trust the promises of Steve Jobs. By the way, I don't trust them either. And, and, and Steve Jobs cried to him to be patient and wait. Um, Abraham, Abraham trusted in the promises of God. And unlike Ronald Wayne's 10% stake in the Apple computer company that could today be worth billions... Abraham's stake in the kingdom of God is priceless he did not sell it back he has inherited the whole world and he has many many children Even though these promises didn't come true in his lifetime, it's important that he knew and that we know that his life was therefore not made void and insignificant and that death does not separate us from the promises of God. If we die in this life before the Lord comes, before he returns, that does not make our life meaningless. What we have done in this life for the kingdom of God, God will take that little and he'll make it a lot. He'll take that cave, he'll turn it into a kingdom. That's what he does. That's what he's done in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that you, you are faithful that you have infused our life with significance and meaning. May we, Lord, not waste it. And may we be faithful to you even in the ordinary things. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would know and just as Abraham saw in the death of his wife, just as he saw in his soon-to-be passing from this life, that death does not separate us from your promises. That your promise is still whole. That we have an anchor that goes before us. Jesus Christ who has passed through the veil of death into your very presence. And has purchased for us a kingdom. That we, just like Abraham now, if we believe in the promises and we do not sell our stake back. Will be inheritors of the world. That we, even if we lose a mother or a father or brothers or sisters in this life, we will have mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in so much in this life and in the life to come. Lord, help us to see the significance in our mustard seeds, to see the significance in our leaven. Help us, Lord, to see that treasure in the field and to live our lives for it. Help us, Lord, to buy a cave knowing you'll turn it into a kingdom to trust you with a little so that we know that you'll turn it into a lot. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we, we would know that Christ is at work in us, making his kingdom more true, more real, and that when this life passes, we will be with you and Christ forever, in the new heavens and the new earth. What a glorious day that will be.